Hi, it's Michael Anthony, and welcome to Meat News Live, keeping an eye on today's news affecting meat and animal-based lifestyles. Thanks so much for liking and subscribing. You can find all my links at themeatofit.com. So, uh, thanks uh, to all of you who joined me for my uh, grocery hunt earlier. I live-streamed my Whole Foods visit, and... um, I think that I'm going to start uh, going to the other one. I think it has a bigger meat section. Uh, I went to the one in, in Manhasset on Long Island here in New York, but I prefer the one in Garden City, New York. So, all right. Um, I guess <laughs> let's get into these uh, headlines, and um, and then we will talk uh, between headlines. I'll catch up with the chat room. Uh, to the best of my ability, and let's get started. Here we have, from The Guardian, Secrets and Pies, the battle to get lab-grown meat on the menu. Uh, And this is, um, let's see, it's by Jack McGovern, it's... It's under stem cells. Is that a... Uh, under science. Under I, I don't know. Okay, this is weird. Um, I'm just trying to see where they... It's under the, under the science category for uh, uh, on The Guardian. All right, so let's see what they're saying. Sustainable alternatives to livestock farming are being held back by patents, are reluctant to share research, and the lack of government support. Wow. <laughs> They're complaining. Okay, let's see what else. Not a week goes by without Elliot Swartz receiving at least one request from researchers asking him where they can find cell lines, a cell culture developed from a single cell, for use in cellular agriculture, an essential tool for creating lab-grown meat. Okay. uh, Cellular? Okay. Cell lines. I'm learning the terms here. So cell lines are um, for use in so-called cellular agriculture. Another important term to notice here. Um, I I guess these are, I I don't know whether these are neologisms or, but I guess these are going to be terms to look out for as we follow the science. Um, So one of the most important things that cell lines offer is that they enable researchers to just get started in this new field, says Swartz, who works in New York. Oh, hey, hey, neighbor. As a senior scientist at the Good Food Institute. Hmm, good food. GFI. Uh, A nonprofit focused on advancing (laughs) advancing cellular agriculture and bringing its products to our shelves and stomachs as quickly as possible. Don't rush, guys. Seriously. (laughs) Helping researchers is a core part of his role. In the case of cell lines, however, there's very little he can do. Swartz's response to the researchers is unfortunately always the same. At the moment, publicly available cell lines relevant for cellular agriculture don't really exist. That doesn't mean that they're nowhere to be found. Upside Foods, these names, I'm just one, I'm always suspicious. I'm looking at the names and what they, what they're trying to mean and 
this hidden meanings and all that stuff. Um, I'm very conspiratorial, as many of you know by now. Previously, Memphis Meats has submitted several patents to uh, to protect cell lines it has developed, and companies such as Cell Farm Food Tech. Cell Farm Food Tech. That is so... I mean, cellular agriculture. That's They're proclaiming the dawn of cellular agriculture. Lab-grown meat, especially, it looks like. Have built a business around selling cell lines for profit. Keeping discoveries uh, behind closed doors is a pattern of behavior found in private companies across the country, which many believe is slowing down innovation. So they want to open up, share, and uh, grow faster. Cellular agriculture is the use of animal cells or microbes. Here we're getting a, here's their definition. The use of animal cells or microbes to grow animal products. Okay. Such as meat or milk. In bioreactors. In bioreactors. Does this sound like something healthy? Something made in a bioreactor? Oh, man. So, all right. I, I, I lose my place. I just get so... Okay, the field gained prominence after Dutch scientist Mark Post unveiled the first cultured meat burger in 2013. Not that long ago, really. Since then, cultured meats have been touted as a sustainable alternative to livestock farming, which, they say in the article, is the leading cause of habitat destruction. Total BS, by the way. It's factory farming. It's everything that they regulate and force us to do, or or at least make it very inconvenient to do otherwise. Anyway, so I can go on forever about that, and I've done that in the past. (laughs) If you want to hear me blathering on and on about that, please check out some of my past stuff, but they're saying, uh, yeah, it's not true. So anyway, global demand for burgers and bacon is to increase over the coming decades. And I'm, I'm curious about, I'm not going to click on that right now, but <clears throat> uh, meaning more ecosystems will be bulldozed, uh, boy, to accommodate the expanding market. How stupid do they think we are? We can do this more sustainably, getting away from their system. So they're trying to sell us a solution, and they're the problem. They, In fact, if they have their way, yes, we will destroy more habitat. Whether or not we move forward, if we don't do this, they're going to destroy habitats to grow more soy, to make more fake meat. So let's, let's not kid ourselves here. Uh, this, in turn, will increase the risk of future pandemics, they say, as biodiversity loss is linked to the emergence of new diseases. <sighs> They're so desperate. Every little bit they can try to add to the fear, they do. The Guardian. I, I mean, I'm <laughs> going straight to the enemy here, the mainstream, the corporate media, because they're all bought and sold by these interests, the very interests they're supposed to be covering objectively. Moreover, <clears throat> excuse me, efforts to cut carbon emissions will also fall short of Paris targets if we don't reduce our meat consumption. More of this madness, this 
totalitarian madness. According to a special report published by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change in 2019, all these governments, none of them have heard of traditional farming practices that actually restore the land, fertilize the land, and requires no extra feed. Really, really. You can't, at that point, I have to just realize that at least a certain percentage of these people know they're lying to us. And we have to admit that to ourselves. Otherwise, the wolf in sheep's clothing, uh, I mean, you you notice that it's a wolf and you're just watching. Reading on. There is some progress. In Singapore last year, eat just. Eat just. I'm sure they mean eat just plants. Uh, But, uh, no, there's no justice in what they're doing, I'm sure. No. Became the first cultured meat company to gain regulatory approval to sell its product. Hmm. But many technological, social, and economic hurdles remain before our supermarkets are filled with a variety of cultured cutlets. Yeah, I would hope so. I hope they're never filled with a variety of cultured cutlets. To surpass these hurdles, organizations including the GFI are pushing for a more public exchange of data, tools, and ideas. As it stands, most research in the field is done by private companies which seem keen to protect their intellectual property. Oh, pity. Swartz says the lack of publicity available uh, um, of public, uh, publicly available cell lines is a gatekeeper in getting people into the field, even though there's a lot of interest, adding that this isn't really an issue in other industries. Scientists looking for stem cells for research or clinical purposes can go to the government-funded UK stem cell bank, and across the Atlantic, the nonprofit uh, the um, the nonprofit American Type Culture Collection hosts a reserve of cell lines that are mainly open access. That sounds kind of horrifying to me, but although repositories like this do include animal cells, that doesn't mean they're suitable for generating meat. What makes cell... None of them are. None of them are, okay? What makes cell lines themselves so useful is that they are immortal and can multiply indefinitely, so they can be used as a standard model across the industry. We're not going to understand if our findings are true if different groups are using different cells with different features, Swartz continues. So, cell lines are the first piece of the puzzle for getting cultivated meat to become an actual field of study. The GFI is filling the cell line-shaped hole. <clears throat> excuse me, the cell line-shaped hole in uh, cellular agriculture. Yeah, making the creating the perception uh, of of need where there is none. Um, by funding the creation lines uh, that will uh, be openly accessible and making a repository to store them in. In Carafast, uh, a, a Boston-based bio-research company, bio-research, will maintain this repository. Okay. Researchers not involved with the GFI are welcome, deposit, uh, are welcome to deposit cell lines too, as are private companies. Okay. 
Anyone looking to use the cells must pay a small fee to cover the costs of storing and maintaining them. So far, only one academic group has deposited a cell line. The lines being worked in uh, on in academic uh, groups are in are still in development, which is why we haven't got that many yet. Swartz says. Now this sounds like just more centralization. They're building a a database to try to make it easier to create cultured meat, to create uh, have startups create cultured meat and all that kind of stuff. I don't want there to be better technology for this stuff. I don't know how you feel, but this is what they're doing, whether we like it or not. So I think it's important to be at least aware of it. So moving on. The reluctance of private companies to share their cell lines may in part be because of how they are financed. A GFI report found that in um, of the 36... Uh, 300, sorry, $366 million invested in cultured meat in 2020, only about $12 million came from public sources. Controlling the vast majority of the capital in the industry means that the private sector can comfortably dictate the pace and direction of innovation, which the Breakthrough Institute's food and agriculture analyst Saloni Shah sees as an issue. This is so tedious. This, uh, these organizations and all their little petty concerns. My concern is what they're creating and how it's going to hurt people for sure if it gets too far. I mean, it's de- gonna. I mean, it, it would deprive people of proper nutrition. It would definitely not help the environment at all. It's just more factory, more. More factory food, more processed food. Uh, and it's lab food. It's even weirder than factory food. I don't know which is weirder. They're probably just, they're both not natural. And that's the problem. Skipping down a bit. Uh, the complaint is, uh, the, compl- the complaint that governments need to start investing in more sustainable food options is echoed by Isha Datar, the executive director of New Harvest. Another nonprofit focused on advancing cellular agriculture. How many of these creep creep shows are there? <laughs> she thinks one of the reasons the field lacks in uh, government funding is that a mix of tissue engineering. These terms are so creepy. Tissue engineering, which is medically oriented, because you know, of course, some of this stuff could save lives. But I'm just thinking more of the downside because that's what. This is the downside of it. They're going to try to fake meat and feed it to us. <clears throat> so it's saying, uh, yeah, a mix of tissue engineering, which is medically oriented, and food science. Ew. Uh, cellular, agricul- cellular agriculture is kind of homeless, and so it falls between the cracks of the existing pillars of funding and how we think about science being separated. So funding and how we think about science. We need to bring those together. <clears throat> to me, these are all just you know, public pro- projects, right? The things that are trying to merge industry and government. And again, this is all very quiet fascism. It's quiet fascism. And it's hard to see it that way for many people, I think. But uh, And I would have been right with you at a certain point, but... 
not anymore because this is all this focus on trying to push these things onto the public it's uh it's insidious uh but this is what they're planning i'm trying to skip down a bit let's see what this picture is in december eat just's no kill chicken became available at a singapore restaurant it is the first lab-grown meat granted regulatory approval. Uh, wow. That shows, goes to show you, um, if something is approved by a regulatory organization, that doesn't mean it's good for you. It just means it's approved by a government organization. They, I mean, the same organization that I will remind you over and over. I cannot... Uh, 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 okay, dietary... Guide, yeah, there it is. Dietary Guidelines for Americans 2020. Um, I mean, oh, I, I'm sorry, it's not in, it's not open in the right window. <laughs> um, let me just grab this. Dietary Guidelines for Americans. And I just have to point out because this. This is all government approved, but the message that they're sending us in this is, okay, where exactly is this one, there's one particular, here it is, here it is, they show us nutrient-dense options, (laughs) making nutrient-dense choices, one food or beverage at a time. This is from dietaryguidelines.gov. Every food and beverage choice is an opportunity to move uh, toward a healthy dietary pattern. Small changes and single choices add up and can make a big difference. These are a few examples of realistic, small changes to nutrient-dense choices that can help make uh, people make uh, adopt healthy dietary patterns. I'm sorry, I can barely take this stuff seriously, so I'm half-assed reading it. But uh, nutrient-dense. Uh, okay, no, no, typical. So this is what they want you to avoid, is the typical frosted shredded wheat. Now, the nutrient-dense option, according to the New- United States government is plain shredded wheat. <laughs> Come on! I'll give them credit for taking away the sugar, but that doesn't make it healthy. Just less, a little less bad for you. A little less bad for you. And still very bad for you, all that wheat. I used to eat lots of that crap. Full-fat yogurt with added sugars is the typical. They want you to have plain, low-fat yogurt with fruit. No. No. I mean, for, first of all, you should be having f- full-fat yogurt with no fruit. That, that, to me, is, that is the ideal. Uh, but, I mean, really, this is ridiculous. Regular canned black beans. Um, they recommend instead low-sodium black beans. How about no beans? Now, here's my favorite. Because, look, the last one I can agree with. Soda. Instead of soda, sparkling water. I had some of that today. I agree. Yes. Sparkling water is my soda, especially mineral water. But butter, they want you to replace it with vegetable oil. Do you know how much heart disease, diabetes, other things are being triggered by vegetable oil? And that's the healthy option they're proposing. So 
when you look at these government approvals, I mean, keep in mind, I mean, anything that's approved by the government is not necessarily good for you. It's just approved by the government, which has made mistakes in the past, and they're still making these mistakes. Still making these mistakes right here. You can see it for yourself. Dietaryguidelines.gov. But, um, yeah, I think you get the point with this stuff. Uh, companies say they can grow cellular, cellular meat in the lab, but doubts remain about whether production can be scaled to create an affordable product. I hope they continue to struggle in that way. Yes. Struggle. Struggle, damn you. But, um, that's what they're saying. What's the point of lab-grown meat when we can simply eat more vegetables? Oh, really? 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 Jenny Kleeman. Well, Jenny Kleeman. I am disagreeing with you here. I think we should eat. No, why? What's the point of eating lab-grown meat or vegetables when you can just eat meat? Let's see what you're saying in the chat room here. Hi, Kimberly Bush. Yeah, this stuff is gross. I I gotta tell you, and I mean. We've been doing, yeah, and we have been doing, a hundred years ago, two hundred, three hundred, millennia ago, we were doing this, all this stuff without any, any problem, but now they want to make it illegal, or at least inconvenient to do that traditional ways, Uh, anyway, I'm not feeling my my most articulate tonight, I'll admit, but man, this stuff just really ticks me off. Hey, Andy, worked late in the cheese shop, all right, doing the work of the gods over there. No, please, you're not late. I'm late. Um, yeah, so, yeah, this cultured meat, lab-grown poop. <laughs> uh, who knows, man? I I don't think that it's grown from poop, but it's, um, might as well be, as far as I'm concerned. This is all disgusting. Cows are sustainable. Yes, Kimberly. Moo. They literally want us eating from their hands like dogs. I agree, Andy. Yes, and Kimberly adds, so they can craft more drugs to heal, quote-unquote, the sickness that this would cause. Of course, they're always ready with the solutions. And this is part of it, mind you. I mean, this is part of the cash grab, that they have this processed product that they can offer you that you can't make yourself at home. Or even go hunting to get. Um, hi, Val. Thanks for joining us. And uh, Kimberly says, well, we know the dietary guidelines are totally jacked. Yeah. I mean, look at the... Um, it's published by... Who? who whom? Or who? Uh, It's the USDA and the Department of Health and Human Services. Yeah, so the USDA, uh, that alone, I mean, that's the Department of Agriculture, and that's very corporate. So there's only so much. I mean, they they have a a goal to push a certain amount of certain products. That's just true. Financial interest, which would be considered a conflict of interest, but that's not readily recognized. Uh, Let's see. 
Kimberly says, I found this channel through my carnivore lifestyle interest. Excellent. Well, I'm glad. Welcome. Phoenix Compilation says, Dietary guidelines are animal fat phobic. Extremely. Extremely. And Andy gives credit to good old Ansel Keys. Yep. Or Incel Keys. He wanted to make us incels. Uh, it's part of that whole push to feed us grains so that we'd be less randy. Really. And no meat? I know, Val. Andy says, gotta sell that subsidized corn and soy. Absolutely. Burn them down. Meat, says Kimberly. (laughs) Uh, I mean, metaphorically, yes, we, we vote with our dollars, and that could burn them down if they don't have our dollars. Eat the people in the laboratory, says Val. Well, uh, I mean, that, <laughs> this is going a bit far, I think, but <laughs> uh, I, I like that you're, there are no bad ideas, <laughs> but uh, maybe let's not eat the people. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> oh, you say that as a lab tech. Oh, okay. I mean, I mean, this is between you and your colleagues, but um, <laughs> I think the rest of us, we have to, we haven't earned that, uh, that right. Kimberly says, I won't eat you, meat friend. That, see, that's kindness, you see. Andy says, send the Doom Slayer to the meat labs. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We, we're going to need some. I, I feel like we're going to need something big. Because it's just us. It's us again. It's a pretty uh, Davy and Goliath thing, right? David and Goliath. I don't know, Davy. That's an old animated show. Anyway. Uh, but of course I'm also referring to the actual biblical story of the giant and the little guy taking him down because we can, we can Wisconsin State Farmer has our next story let's be prepared oh wait, wait, let's see, where's the headline Huh? I can't believe I skipped so much I didn't realize I was so uh, scrolled down so far I guess I was reading through it but I didn't know I was And now they've had me click on something else. Okay. All these pop-ups really frustrate me. I have a a VPN running and it still happens. Okay, there we go. I think I... I don't know what's... Okay, forget it. I'm going to leave all the ads. Sorry if they're... I'll I'll close this one, but... (laughs) Uh, New funding. This is... Okay. From the Wisconsin State Farmer. Wisconsin State Farmer. New funding aimed at small meat processors could help industry capitalize on pandemic demand. Uh, now, and this sounds like it could be, I hope Hope Kerwan or Kerwin, Hope Kerwin from Wisconsin Public Radio wrote this. So, yes, it, it is giving us some hope, I guess. Um. And here we have a picture: a, a worker uses a bandsaw to cut meat. I've been thinking about that, getting a saw that can cut through bone and all that, because I have a, you know, a deli slicer, and that's great for um, just slicing thin. But yeah, I don't. I'm thinking. I don't. I don't think I. I don't think I need that. But someday, maybe I will need it. And wow. Anyway, just daydreaming as a carnivore. But uh, yeah. So there we go. Um, at Sailors Food Market and Meat Processing in Elmwood, Wisconsin. 
also known for their uh, cheese, I believe. Food industry experts say new federal funding could help local and regional meat processors in the state processors in the state capitalize on increased business from the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay. Interesting. So it's increased business. That that sounds good for uh, for meat. I mean, again, I'm against this centralized factory farming. I'm just saying it's good for meat overall, I guess, for now, because this is the main system we have and that we're trying to get away from. But this is where most people are getting their meat, where most of you are probably getting your meat. So uh, it's important. The U.S. Department of Agriculture, the USDA, uh, co-authors of the Dietary Guidelines for Americans, announced Friday it plans to spend $500 million million to support new meat and poultry processing facilities. Interesting. Now, again, I don't like the fascism, but I... Eh, I mean, this sounds like it's money going into meat, which is, I don't know if it's, I'm just glad to see something that's not about plants or cultured meat. This is about actually raising livestock, which is weird and makes you, it makes me suspicious because here on one side, they're pushing saying, no, we have to cut back on red meat. We have to end. It's bad for our health. It's bad for the planet's health. They claim and on the other side, they're saying, hey, well, we have to invest in uh, in our meat, meat infrastructure or whatever they want to call it. So it's, yeah, it's, eh, it's a double-sided thing, huh? So it's saying... Uh, the department said the funding from the latest COVID-19 relief bill will go toward grants, loans, and technical assistance for new facilities in order to address concentration within the meat and poultry sectors and relieve supply chain bottlenecks. Sounds like they're trying to expand access to meat and poultry. That's, despite the centralization, uh, kind of a good thing, in a way, so... That's why I chose this. I don't want to sound like I'm always panicking. I'm I'm always obviously always suspicious, <laughs> but at least you know <clears throat> this is something that sounds like it could help some people, <clears throat> especially since the government has done so much to damage uh, these industries through shutdowns. I think. I mean, I don't. You know, they're paying us back using our money. So, yay! But. Uh, all right. The USDA release said the agency is asking for stakeholder input on how best to distribute the new to distribute the new funds. Stakeholder input, you know, stakeholder capitalism. Look out for that term. That's the the new, pretty much the new term for fascism, in my opinion. Stakeholder capitalism, as Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum would call it. Yeah, doing a lazy Klaus today. The the USDA also announced $150 million to support existing small meat processors. And we do need uh, to help support small meat processors. 
Uh, but um, anyway, by covering overtime fees, interesting, for inspections during the pandemic and uh, supporting facility expansions. All right. It's so hard for me to celebrate any of this because it's coming from the government, the government that's against red meat and against meat in general and uh, against a lot of natural health principles these days especially. Jeff Sindelar, uh, Sindelar is a meat specialist for the University of Wisconsin, Madison's Division of Extension. He said small and mid-sized processors saw demand for their services and products expand rapidly in 2020 after coronavirus outbreaks forced large processing plants to reduce capacity or shut down. Now that's good because I heard a lot of um, meat producers were forced to even cull their herds, you know, just killing animals that don't even get to be meat because they weren't there weren't enough processors. And I I was saying, I think at the time, but I've certainly been complaining since that we shouldn't have ever been in that position because the small processors should be allowed to function, to operate, whereas it's often the case that they're not allowed to operate as freely as the big people who, the, the, the big operations have, they're able to meet certain regulatory demands and are, of course, able to just churn out way more stuff. I'm against that, you know, just churning out so much meat unnecessarily it's uh but um all right reading on here uh they were really they were really stressed because farmers were needing places to go with their animals consumers were interested in buying more protein protein <laughs> we're not we're interested in buying meat all right meat not protein and there was also this small, in fact, most of it is fat that we're, we need the fat probably more than, and we need both, but it's, fat is a really, in fact, the, the more important part of it. So calling it protein, it's, that, that just shows you where they don't understand the nutritional side of things. Uh, and there was also this small hoarding phenomenon that was going on for a short period of time, Sindelar said. Yeah, I still have a few uh frozen beef patties i, I they they're la uh you know they're, they're standard meat so I, I haven't been crazy about digging into them uh, since i have so much access to and, and i've been really trying to focus on the high quality small farm small ranch meat uh i haven't eaten that hoarder those hoarder burgers yet but i, I should probably go through them or donate them or something Uh, there are more than 500 meat processors in the state, Sindelar said. That's good, I think, probably. <laughs> um, I mean, as long as they're not just killing animals for no good reason. I mean, I hope that they're keeping up exactly with demand. That That's the ideal, I think. He said before the pandemic, the processing industry already struggled with finding enough skilled employees, wow, and dealing with aging equipment. Now that the country is emerging from the pandemic, uh, Sindelar, I hope so, uh, Sindelar said there is a real interest from the meat industry and from government officials to make, the, uh, make sure the same vulnerabilities don't continue. Yeah, exactly. Decentralization. It's interesting. Yeah, I agree. Decentralize. And that's, that is the real 
message here is decentralize, but what they're doing is decentralizes decentralizing into smaller. So I guess recentralizing into or, or shrinking their their um. It's a smaller centralization, which ultimately any organization would be. But I still think that this is probably um, still too plugged into the the big system, which is full of waste and hurts the environment and then claims that we're hurting the environment. Anyway, let's see. They say, let's be prepared so that if an, uh, if an event, God forbid COVID, but if something like that were to happen again that the Wisconsin meat industry wouldn't be so vulnerable and the population of the state would be protected with a stable food supply, Sindelar said. One should hope. Paul Mitchell, uh, director of uh, the Rank Agribusiness Institute at UW-Madison, said many small processors have made it clear that they need support to make expansion feasible. Even if you have customers... Uh, It's sometimes hard to convince a bank to give you financing to expand your line, to add on to your facility, Mitchell said. So I think this new USDA funding will help them a lot. Okay. He said processors have also called for new training programs to help attract workers in the industry. Ah, okay. Just keeping an eye on where they're saying they'll spend the money. So I think before they were saying um, uh, they were going to cover overtime, right? So they're going to help cover overtime costs for when they have to, I guess, stay open late for inspections. And they're going to pay for training to attract new workers. Um, These are not necessarily bad. I just don't like the source, the government source of these things, because that makes it centralized, and there are always strings attached, and there are always agendas attached. But maybe this is just a little bit of good, good, a little bit of good, uh, potentially. Um, just, but again, <laughs> I can't be too enthusiastic when the partnership between government and uh, private industry is technically fascism. So, I can't celebrate too much. Uh, just skipping to the end here. He said the funding specifically set aside to cover overtime inspection costs during the pandemic will help even the playing field. Perhaps it will. This article, republished with permission from Wisconsin Public Radio. I've often been told I have a public radio voice, but I think that with all my kvetching, I don't sound as public radio as normal. Let's see what you're saying in the chat. Nina Wilder. Hi, Nina. Dr. Lecter? <laughs> uh, I, I don't... Uh, let's see who... <laughs> I, I, I'm i I'm guessing... Uh, does someone look like Clarice Starling? Or <laughs> it's, uh, I, I love a good Silence of the Lambs joke, so I don't want to miss out on the punchline here. Uh, or the reference. Kimberly says, uh, punny, ha ha ha. Did I make a pun? I probably did. Uh, they're taking out of, oh, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth, it seems. I agree, Kimberly. Uh, they're saying, uh, yeah, let's, um, let's support the meat industry. Let's help, uh, yeah, Biden recently 
uh, supposedly uh, had some initiative to make the meat industry more competitive or to encourage co- competition uh, amongst meat producers and uh that stuff just makes me suspicious um because they're against meat <laughs> z8 says uh hey vegan gains is live on youtube right now and you can call in to talk talk uh or to, to debate him that would seriously blow your channel up even if you flop you should try it out I don't know. I think that's bad vibes, but I might think of it some at some point <laughs> if I feel uh, confrontational enough or willing. But I just uh, I don't know. I haven't. I'll have to check out some of his uh, his material. I think I've seen thumbnails, and I already got some bad vibes. But let me see if I'm kind of being prejudiced here. So thanks. Thanks, Z8. I'll check it out. And thanks for being here. The End says, I've talked to a rancher personally when I was off-roading. Cool. Off-roading is something I think I want to get into. Uh, He said the government had 50-plus of his 70-something cattle at the time over... Oh, wait. Okay. The government had 50-plus... Of his 70-something cattle at the time over some regulations during the pandemic. Euthanized. Okay, the, the next message. Um, yeah, that's terrible. 50 of his... More than 50. Of, so, I mean, that's almost all of them. It's horrific. And yes, that happened because of uh, shutdowns. Because of centralization. Because... If these ranchers had sent their meat to independent processors that were not regu- regulated by the USDA, FDA, whatever, whoever the hell is, is uh, whichever Gestapo they were supposed to report to, they would have been in trouble. They could have lost a lot. They could have lost everything. So that's what we're up against is, and that's what makes it fascistic. You know, they're, they're dictating everything and making it illegal for you to make your own choices about what you consume, whether or not you can have raw dairy, whether or not you can have meat from your local rancher, and in many cases, it's criminal. Criminal. Let's check out this story from CNBC. Tech to table. <laughs> Tech to table. They can't stop. They can't help. They try to be cute. And then come up with these creepy terms. Faux fish looks to ride the growing wave of alternative meats. Again, with the terminology, alternative meats, a.k.a. alternative proteins, yada, yada, yada. Cultured meats, uh, plant-based meats, all these lies. Key points. Or lies and uh, concoctions. U.S. retail sales of plant-based foods grew 27% in 2020 to $7 billion. A market largely dominated by alternative meat and milk products. Wow. That's gross. Yeah, so alternative milk, I'm sure, also includes, uh, yeah, um, plant... uh, I'm guessing, you know, the almond milks and other... Almond milk is such a wasteful process, that alone. If you look that up, I mean, wow. 
Alternative seafood is one of the fastest-growing segments of that industry, being driven by both startups and established seafood pr- providers alike. That's a shame on those established seafood providers, and a shame on the. St- I mean, some of them don't know what they're doing. I'm sure, but I'm sure there are a lot of scientists who think they're just helping the earth, but they're not looking at this other science that shows that they're not. More than $80 million was invested in alternative seafood companies in 2020. I'm sure that's not that much to these people, but it is four times the amount invested in 2019. Sure is a lot of money to me and uh, you, I'm sure, but uh, four times the amount. I mean, it's growing. It is growing. Fishless... I can't even... This is not even... I think it's impossible to pronounce because... It's not real. It's so unreal that it's unpronounceable. Fishless fish. Fishless fish could be the next big thing. Mind blown is the name of this product. Plant-based dusted shrimp, coconut shrimp, slipping into Bubba from Forrest Gump, uh, and dusted scallops. I do kind of miss scallops. Maybe I should have gotten some earlier at Whole Foods. Anyway, faux fish is angling to be the next big thing in alternative protein. I'm sure everything's trying to be the next big thing in alternative protein. What I tell you, that's another one of those words. Alt meat has skyrocketed in popularity in recent years as consumers have started to change what they eat for a variety of reasons. And we know what the reasons are. The climate, the health, yada yada, BS. Ranging from concerns over climate change, (laughs) I mean, I knew it, and you knew it, and sustainability, to animal welfare. I miss that one, but I, I do look after animal welfare. That's why I don't really point that one out much, because I'm doing that on the carnivore side of things. Focusing on humanely raised meat. So come on here. Um, and personal health benefits. That has led to a proliferation of products from companies like Impossible Foods. And of course, personal health benefits we know is BS. Check out my, my video, How Meat Healed Me. I, I mean, it's miraculous what, what meat can do for a person. So this is complete BS. Um, but uh, moving on. That has led to a proliferation of products from companies like Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat across grocery stores and restaurants, while traditional meat companies like Tyson Foods, uh, they bear, they make a lot of half-assed chicken and <laughs> weird mystery meat anyway. So Purdue Farms, some mystery chickens, right, sometimes, and Hormel, uh, more mystery meat, are launching new entrants in the category. U.S. retail sales of plant-based foods grew 27% in 2020, bringing the total market roughly roughly to six... I mean, sorry, these numbers are getting... I've, we keep seeing these numbers, and I'm, I don't want to read them over and over again. Uh, it's almost like a, a, a hypnotic thing that they just, they just want to drill these these same numbers into your head. A lot of these articles that that's what they do they try to drill certain numbers into your head certain concepts into your head and just assume certain things uh, uh, slip certain opinions into facts and it's very very clever and and insidious as i keep saying can't really overuse a word like that in in, in these situations so uh yeah, so the market is about seven billion, according to data from the Plant-Based Foods Association. 
I'll take the numbers, sure. PBFA. I, whenever I see one, one of these uh, uh, acronyms, I, I wanna, I wanna, uh, you know, come up with something uh, like something to like. P, uh, I don't know. I, I can't think of a, a good one, but maybe one of you can. Something insulting to describe it instead of plant-based food association. PBFA could stand for uh, petty bluffing, fibbing a holes. I don't know. That's not very good. And the Good Food Institute, the GFI, which can go F itself. <laughs> the global market, that one's all right, but I thought of it earlier, I can't lie. The global market is forecasted to grow to $450 billion by 2040, according to consulting firm Kearney, which would represent roughly a quarter of the broader $1.8 trillion meat market. Okay. That's good. I mean, the... The real meat market, which, again, is still mostly factory farming, and that's a problem, but it's still, the real meat is completely, I mean, overshadowing. Look at those numbers. The 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 fake meat might be in every supermarket, but real meat is the, the big, the biggest share. It's still really the, a huge chunk. So that's good news. Billions against... Trill, uh, trillions, almost trillions, uh, nearly two trillion. The meat market, I'm sorry, the market for uh, the meat market, I, I, the brain fills in the words at once. The market for plant-based products has largely been driven by faux milk nah, and meat, nah, fa- fa- faux meat, which make up 35% and 20% respectively of the total sales in the category according to GFI. Plant-based meat sales grew 45% to $1.4 billion in 2020, while plant-based milk sales grew 20% to $2.5 billion. American dollars. U.S. dollars. The market for plant-based fish, on the other hand, has been slower to develop. Okay, I mean, no one really wants... This is all being pushed, pretty much. No one was looking at... Who was... Saying we need more fake meat. No, it's being pushed. We're, they're trying to sell it to us. Uh, and that's been how, where it all comes from. So uh, anyway, while U.S. sales grew 23% in 2020, account, uh, account, accounted only for $12 million according to GFI and PBFA. That represents 0.1% of the entire U.S. seafood market. Good. Keep it small. Get rid of it. We don't need it compared to sales of plant-based meat uh, making up up 1.4% of U.S. meat sales. I'm so glad it's so low. That lifts my spirits a bit. I don't know about yours, but uh, that makes me feel a little better knowing that only one point. Because you you see, it takes up more than 1.4% of the meat section in most supermarkets. So to know that <laughs> they just it's cuz it's being pushed it's being pushed we don't want this crap conventional seafood really has a health halo around it it's seen as a very healthy food that doctors often tell patients to consume more of that is true and that is part of it so that's clever of them to identify uh, marika azoff uh, corporate engagement specialist at GFI said as to uh, 
why alternative fish products may have lagged behind. That's right. You don't have the same scare as red meat, right? The environmental impacts aren't as straightforward as they are with beef and dairy. They are a little more, com- little bit more complex and kind of harder for the general public to grasp. In order, in, in other words, they're finding it harder to scare us into eating fake fish. That's all. That's all that means. It's harder for us, for them to scare us into eating fake fish than it is to scare us into eating fake red meat or pork. Or even chicken. Investing in faux fish. Here's where CNBC is... This is the real story, is the investments. However, several companies are looking to change that in an attempt to take a piece of the more than $15 billion U.S. seafood market. That sounds like a good, healthy market. Although, again, a lot of unnecessary fishing, that is a problem, but... um, I'm I'm hoping that it's as close to keeping up with demand as possible. That's what we want is enough meat and fish, poultry, all that stuff to keep up with demand, not more, because then that's a waste. That's animals being killed for nothing. I'm very conscientious of these things or about these things. And they're pretending that to care about animal welfare, you need to eat fake stuff made out of... Anyway, it's, there are so many problems with all of this stuff that I go over and over. But continuing the article, uh, there were eighty-three companies globally produce. Okay, there were eighty-three companies globally producing alternative seafood products as of June twenty twenty-one. Eighty-three companies. That's too many, in my opinion. Way too many. According to GFI, with 65 of them um, focusing on plant-based products. Uh-huh. That's not surprising. Although I haven't even seen plant-based fish. I haven't noticed it that I can remember. Um, not that I remember, yeah. Uh, not that I look for it. <laughs> Why would I? In comparison, but I don't see Beyond Fish, you know, on the shelf when I'm looking at the, the their gross products just to... Or showing them to you when I live stream my Whole Foods visits. Uh, in comparison, there were only 29 companies producing alternative seafood products in 2017. So, that's a huge growth. Uh, yeah. Not a good thing. <laughs> in 2020, more than $80 million was invested in alternative seafood companies which is four times the amount invested in 2019, according to GFI. Uh, this is a picture of uh, Blue Nalu. Blue Nalu. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. They're whole muscle cell-based yellowtail amberjack. <laughs> Buried in I guess, some kind of a green collard green or something and a piece of cabbage spiced cabbage or something they can't even show you the damn product they have to hide it under this (laughs) I'm sure it's not appealing I'm sure it's barely recognizable as fish unless it's wrapped in something that's supposed to look like it's a garnish dog garnish Gathered Foods, which produces plant-based seafood brand Good Catch, 
raised how cute raised a 32 a 32 million dollars uh, series b funding round in january 2020 from investors including light life foods light life they try to make it all sound so pure um parent company greenleaf another one foods greenleaf foods and 301 incorporated i have no idea what that means the 301 more symbolism no doubt um but it could be anything who knows and i'm not saying that's necessarily sinister but uh the venture arm of <laughs> the vent the venture arm of general mills definitely sinister blue nalu Oh, they're back here. Blue Nalu, which is focused on cultured seafood. Yeah, cultured seafood. Grown in a lab. Petri dish seafood. Petri dish. Petri fish. Let's call it Petri fish. I was the first to come up with that one. I'm sure of it. Maybe not, but I'm proud of it. Dang it. Uh, Petri fish uh, or fish produced directly from cells. Raised $60 million in convertible note financing in January 2021. A record deal for a record deal. I, I, that, I just think of, you know, a, a musician you know, saying, man, I, dude, I got a record deal anyway, uh, for an alternative seafood company. To, to date, the two giants of alternative meat products have not yet made an entry into alternative fish. Impossible Foods said in 2019 that it was working on a plant-based fish recipe, but it has yet to release any products. In other words, it has, it's failing, I'm sure. It's, I'm sure it's gross. They prob- they're probably working hard to get that flaking. And to get that flaking, they're going to have to do all kinds of creepy science. <laughs> so the mad scientists are in the lab and they're working on it as we speak. I can't do a good Igor right now, it seems. I haven't worked on an Igor um, in a long time. Good classic Igor from Frankenstein. Um, but it has yet to... Uh, Beyond Meat has previously stated it was focused on beef, poultry, and pork. In other words, it seems like they're struggling. on. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're struggling, I think, to create this. There's no reason that alternative seafood can't or won't catch up to the other types of alternative proteins, said Azoff. Really, there is not a dominant company in plant-based seafood the way meat and dairy categories have, but we're seeing potential for that to change soon. Let me see. This is an ad video. Uh, the next alt meat trend: why demand for alternative seafood? Faux fish is surging. Hmm. Traditional seafood companies are also making their own investments in alternative fish. In September 2020, Nestle, uh, now Nestle partners with the World Economic Forum, gotta point that out, uh, launched Vuna, a plant-based tuna, ooh, sounds hard, Vuna, a plant-based tuna alternative that is the company's first foray into plant-based seafood, citing statistics that 90% of global fish stocks are now depleted or close to depletion. Yeah, because of, if that's true, it's because of, um, factory fishing. Stop factory fishing. Not, don't create more factory nonsense to end other factory nonsense that's destroying the world. Thai Union Group, which owns brands like Chicken of the Sea. Interesting. I've heard of Chicken of the Sea, but not of Thai Union Group. <laughs> uh, you can shorten that to Tug. 
T-U-G, um, said it will launch a plant-based shrimp product. Oh, goody, goody. By the end of this year, I wonder if it's going to be shrimp-shaped. Joining its other plant, I'm sure it's going to be a curl of pink goo or something. Um, Joining its other plant-based fish and crab products already available. Uh, There's already a lot of imitation crab out there. Or it was for a long time. A lot of that had, I think, corn syrup and other stuff and soy. Anyway, they're expanding, growing. Yeah, there's been imitation crab for a long time. I've been avoiding that for years. Tyson Ventures, the capital, uh, ven- uh, the capital arm of, uh, I'm sorry, the Tyson Ventures, the venture capital arm of Tyson Foods, invested in plant-based shellfish company New Wave Foods in September 2019 and joined its $18 million Series A funding round that closed in January. Bumblebee Foods, they also make uh, tuna that I grew up with, signed a venture, a joint venture with Good Catch in March 2020. So they're just expanding and expanding, and now here they are, ready to point fingers at the fishing industry. I'm pointing fingers too, but they're saying that they're providing a solution. Instead of just decentralizing and keeping it small, instead of doing all this factory stuff. Virginia-based Van Cleve Seafood Company, which sold traditional seafood for more than 20 years, started solely producing plant-based seafood products under the label The Plant-Based Seafood Company. That's pretty open and honest. Citing issues with the fishing industry, such as child labor, overfishing, and mislabeling. You see, all this guilt by association stuff, I'm sure that's horrific. Um, all, all of it. I'm against all of that. I'm against child labor, overfishing, and mislabeling. But the solution is not plant-based fish. That, 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 that. Okay, we wanted to do something about it, and we thought, if not us, then who? So you doing something? What are you doing? Plant-based seafood company uh, uh, co uh, chief uh, executive officer Monica Talbert told CNBC's Kate Rogers, "That's when we made the decision. We're going to do something that would create change." Huh. The plant-based seafood company has products like crab cakes made from artichokes and scallops and shrimp made from vegetable root starch. That's, yeah, that's real. That's real. (laughs) All of which are sold out online. May they stay sold out. May they never restock. Concerns about the fishing industry further highlighted in the recent Netflix documentary, Sea Spiracy, that advocates for the end of fish consumption is viewed as a driver for consumers to switch to plant-based products. More propaganda, folks. A poll of 2,500 Americans, 2,500 Americans from Kelton Global found that reducing plastic waste in the ocean, saving ocean habitats, and reducing harm towards marine animals would be reasons consumers would buy plant-based fish over wild-caught fish. What? (laughs) How about over farmed fish? Or, Or... 
over or, or uh, unsustainably uh, um, wild caught. I mean, sustainably wild caught fish is an option, and they're pretending it's not. They're just pretending it's not. It's just not on the table. Instead, you have to turn to this fake thing that they make in a lab. And we don't even know the health implications of that yet. Or we're not a lab. This is the uh, plant-based. We know the health implications of this. Poor health. Poor health. Nutritional de- uh, de- depletion. Uh, uh, deficiencies. Uh, and, and all kinds of he- other health problems. Chronic health problems. It's really, really concerning. And this upside-down world. I mean, people are still sick. They don't know why. And this is why. This is why. Misinformation drives me nuts. That's why I do this. Uh, so, Gavin Gibbons, Vice President of Communications at the National Fisheries Institute, a trade group representing the fishing industry, said that the organization and its member companies view plant-based products as a very likely part of the future of feeding a growing planet. <laughs> They're technologically, and I know I'm very, being very immature there, but I, I get so sick of this. They're technologically impressive and can, can and should be able to coexist with real seafood as long as they're labeled accurately, Gibbons said, noting that some of NFI's member companies have made investments into alternative seafood. Yeah, you see? So they have come, member companies, where, so the National Fisheries Institute, he, he's vice president of communications at the National Fisheries Institute, NFI, and he's saying they're technologically impressive and can and should be able to coexist with real seafood as long as they're labeled accurately. That sounds relatively fair, relatively fair. Um, noting that some of, noting that some of the members of his own organization, the organization that he represents, have made investments into alternative seafood. So the messengers here, the messengers saying that we need to turn to this to uh, help. We have a a growing planet and this is better than the real thing on all levels. They're pushing it while they're investing in it. That's unethical. These are salespeople. However, Gibbons said, presenting alternative seafood as either nutritionally superior to real fish or better for sustainability reasons would be wrong in his view. Oh, that I like. But let's see what he says next. The USDA's Dietary Guidelines for Americans. Oh, no, not those things again. We just looked at those. We know the problems. Okay, um, uh, highlight that consumers don't eat nearly enough seafood, and it is unarguably, it says, uh, the healthiest animal protein on the planet that's because they they think that because it's low fat and it's stupid it's not true uh it i think beef is actually healthier than most fish hands down hooves down he said okay yeah um he didn't say hooves down but uh, uh i'm just continuing the article few public health professionals would recommend imitation seafood over the real thing I should hope not. They might make that recommendation for other products, but not seafood. From that perspective, these plant-based amalgams aren't really, really alternatives. They're simply imitations. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The thing that makes these health professionals recommend seafood is that a lot of it is low fat. And that's what prevented me from getting more seafood today. I was out for some fatty meat. I found some fatty red meat, some fatty pork, but um, I just got some cl- uh, some clams beca- or oysters, oysters, because um, I kept I looked at the the octopus and I thought I'm going to need to add so much fat that uh, I don't know. Is it going to be worth it? <laughs> but um, I do want some some octopus at some point. So I guess I'll maybe I'll have some on my, my birthday soon. Yeah. I think I will. I'm going to be going to a Brazilian steakhouse, and they do have it, so I look forward to that. Anyway, getting distracted from the article here. Gibbons, I'm thinking about real seafood, and uh, even he is, actually. Gibbons said that 51% of the seafood consumers, uh, uh, sorry, 51% of the seafood consumers eat is farmed and uh, farmed. Wow, 51. Okay, so 51%. I was wondering uh, what this number was. Uh, So, I was wondering about this number, what percentage. So it's uh, 51% of the sea, and this is their numbers, but whatever, we'll just go with them. 51% of the seafood consumers eat is farmed, and about 75% of commercially important marine fish stocks, as stated and monitored by the Food and uh, Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations, as a mouthful, are fished within biologically sustainable levels. Okay. There's a lot of hyperbole associated with claims about empty oceans, and if that's being used to market imitation products, then it's dis- disingenuous, Gibbon said. Okay, sounds like sounds like he's trying to stir up fear in, uh, on one hand and on the other. He has to be honest on some level, I guess, or maybe he's conflicted. I don't know. This is a. This sounds like mis- mixed mess, mixed messaging to me. Um, but I'm glad to see somebody saying we got to calm down. There is one big obstacle that could stand in the way of fake fish: taste. Of course. While 43% of respondents uh, to that Kelton poll said they would consider purchasing alternative seafood in the future, and most cited flavor as the most important factor in driving consumption, 38% said they anticipate disliking the the taste of alternative fish. Okay, interesting. And 27% said they uh, they anticipate disliking the texture. Yeah. It's not going to be the same flaky, whatever. Um, 27% said they have never seen plant-based seafood at a grocery store. I think I'm part of that 27%. First and foremost, um, consumers are going to purchase alternative seafood if it tastes good, as I've said. Maybe, maybe. Meatless Mania, this video that I'm scrolling past. Why the surge in the alternative meat industry. Behind the surge in the alternative meat industry and why it's so popular. Whatever. Trying so hard to push this crap. But it looks like, what, was that the end of the article? (laughs) Yeah, that was. What a weird ending to the article. What is this, The Sopranos? Uh, So that's it. Um, I don't know. I've been giving my opinion this whole time. Let's see what you're saying in the chat. Okay. 
Andy says, I'm going to sleep, folks. Dozing off fast. Well, thanks for hanging out, Andy. Good night. And um, Phoenix Compilation says, see you, Andy. <laughs> yep. This is so great. I love this uh, community we have here. Uh, roll em up the rim. Uh, roll up the rim, I'm sorry. It says, I, I need to get uh, people out of grocery store and into the butcher. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, some grocery stores do have butchers, but... Um, yeah, independent butchers, I think, are great. And I miss having a couple nearby when I lived in Manhattan. Um, and hi, Martin. Thanks for joining us. Um, I think we have a couple more I'm going to get through real quick before I sign off tonight. Uh, trying to keep it, you know, more... A little tighter, you know, and stick to reading a lot more. And you know, I'm commenting along the way, of course, but um, I think that the pacing is improving on Meet News Live. I hope you agree. So here we have one from The Hill. The Days of Mystery Meat May Be Ending by Kevin Lowe, opinion con- contributor uh, from earlier today. And opinion. This is opinion. Um, but it's interesting. I thought it was interesting. Let's see if I, I picked up on what they're really meaning here. President Biden's recent executive order, I mentioned this earlier, uh, to promote competition and protect American consumers. That Oh, my goodness. Just butt out. Huh? Uh, that's always concerning. We don't need... Well, who one? There's a, a saying that uh, one of the most um, terrifying sentences, or maybe the most terrifying sentence in the English language, is "We're the government and we're here to help." I didn't come up with that, but I agree with it. Um, so uh, that recent executive order represents a sea change in the federal government's posture on how businesses should conduct themselves across a wide range of industries. But tucked away among the headline-grabbing focus on big tech, the administration also put forth a directive to crack down on the mislabeling of the origin of where meat is produced. Um, okay. That's... I mean, again, I don't like that these are government dictates, so... The government is butting in and saying, you do this, you do that. I, I want minimal government, so I hate that the government is stepping up to take control and, you know, and help out or whatever. Just I don't want them around. I, they, they, everywhere they go, they cause more trouble and, and, and prices go nuts and technology problems. Anyway, so anyway, uh, it's saying... Uh, not uh, not just a win uh, for domestic producers, but also for consumers increasingly concerned w- about where and how their meat comes from. Where and how their meat comes from the hill? Is this grammar? <laughs> oh my goodness. Concerned about where and how their meat comes from. I feel like every day I have to read something that hurts my... English loving heart. I do love the English language. And I think it's capable of such rich expression. And when things like that happen to it, I, I'm so sorry, English. Current, currently, and I'm sorry for what I do when I stutter, but 
Uh, it's not as bad as that, that's for sure. Currently, packaged meat can be labeled a, a product of USA, even if the animal was raised abroad. That's a problem, definitely. As long as the meat is processed or s- slaughtered in the United States. That's definitely mislabeling. The order dispenses with this loophole by recommending that the United States Department of Agriculture, the USDA, change federal rules to more strictly define when uh, meat can bear product of USA labels so that US, uh, so that customers can uh, have accurate, transparent labels that enable them to choose products made here. While it may not seem like an impactful decision, adding accountability and transparent, that, that sounds like a very impactful decision, actually. Um, uh, I mean, if you saw me, that your you know, it says product of USA, all of a sudden that same meat says from China or from, um, even New Zealand. I mean, I, I mean, I find the New Zealand meat to be some of the, uh, the good stuff often, but uh, I think it's all, pa- um, pasture raised. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe assuming, but a lot of the grass fed stuff is from New Zealand, uh, to my understanding. But anyway, um, yeah, I do prefer local, and I think that's the future and what we need to do. And even these, we saw earlier that the whole, uh, all the support for small meat processors, uh, like, like in Wisconsin, that is helping to decentralize in a way, but not enough because it's coming from a centralized source uh, and is part of a centralized system ultimately. Um, Biden appears to understand that the integrity of our food is a defining issue of our time. I don't think he appears to understand anything, I'm sorry to say. But it also happens to reflect changing consumer habits and expectations. I see this firsthand as the CEO of a startup that tests meat for the presence of antibiotics and other man-made compounds. Okay. Um, as does my partner, uh, Bill Nyman, who is a pace-setter, pace-setter, sounds like industry jargon, in establishing sensible meat production practices. Specifically, in our corner of the meat and poultry industry, antibiotic-free labels and claims are getting a closer look. Okay, that is helpful as I do look for that label. I want uh, animals that have been raised in such ideal conditions that they don't need antibiotics. I mean, that's really the goal there. It's not just to get rid of the antibiotics and have sick animals and eat sick animals. The goal is to treat the animals well so you don't... I mean, that's the, the reason there are so many antibiotics out there is that you, you have animals that are shoved into these CAFO, uh, um, these, these, these uh, um, concentrated animal feed, feedlot operations. And yeah, they're, they're often suffering. They're, they're in suboptimal conditions at the very least, not getting their natural diet and lifestyle. And they get sick. And that's when you end up having to you know, pasteurize milk and uh, do all these other damaging things um, because you, you, you don't have good enough conditions for your animals. That's the problem. Um, but antibiotic-free is, is good for those reasons. When you see antibiotic-free, it's, in my opinion, good because those animals presumably were treated so well that they didn't need antibiotics. 
And when you see a lack of that claim, you can assume that they're from these concentrated animal feedlot operations, which I am against. And I think we have to move away from. And even if you get your meat from that now, it's fine. I mean, that's the, those animals have been slaughtered. Please enjoy that meat and save your life. Keep yourself healthy with that meat. But just keep in mind, these systems, they need to go. But they don't need to go where they're trying to send it next, to these fake meats. So now they're saying, indeed, according to a recent uh, National Zogby poll that sought to understand the sentiment around labeling the use of antibiotics in meat, 66% of Americans find antibiotic-free labels are important when buying meat. That's good. Consumers are, pa- I mean, of course, there are issues with the centralization as always, but it's good, I think, that Americans are more than more than half of Americans, more than half of Americans seem to be conscientious on at least a couple of levels, I would, I would think. Consumers are the are past the days of just simply looking at calorie counts and saturated fat levels before deciding whether to purchase an item. That is true. This makes sense. The stakes of appropriate transparency and quality of the entire meat and poultry industry are increasingly a matter of life or death. Here we come. Let's see what they're going to say. A Washington University study found that there are over... 160,000 deaths annually from superbugs caused by overexposure to antibiotics in our meat and poultry. That sounds bad. Wow. And it sounds believable. Resistant strains of bacteria and such. And uh, don't forget, that's just bad for our own, um, our gut bacteria, our, our... whole microbiome, which is, I mean, we are ultimately microbial creatures. We are compound microbial creatures. And so antimicrobial anything is going to hurt us. I mean, as a creature, because we are ultimately just made up of microbes. <laughs> um, so, Yeah, the the antibiotics, uh, let's see, we are actually prescribed the antibiotic, which makes the anti, okay, so I'll read that from the beginning again. A Washington University study found that there are over 160,000 deaths annually from superbugs caused by by overexposure to antibiotics in our meat and poultry, which makes the antibiotics we are actually prescribed to fight infections less potent. Okay, that's kind of obvious, yeah. That's the problem with superbugs, um, or one of the problems. It also contributes to the evolution of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Oh, I guess that's different different from superbugs then, huh? In addition, avian flu strains passed along by livestock and wild animals. Yeah, nah, nah. They just want to scare us some more. Uh, continue to present huge risks to our well-being. A reminder, the COVID-19 pandemic is but only one virus we must be wary of. I have to give it the, the nice 11 o'clock. I mean, it is what... Uh, actually, it's it's 12 o'clock now, but um, we're hitting midnight here But in New York City. But this is just, yeah, 11 o'clock news scaremongering from the Hill. 
Unsurprisingly, with growing concern about what's in our food, consumers are also increasingly skeptical about whether food producers are being honest about their label's claims. In that same Zogby poll, only 26% of Americans mostly believe antibiotic-free labels are telling the truth. And they aren't wrong. As it stands... Of the 9 billion animals slaughtered in the U.S. every year, the USDA tastes, uh, tests fewer <laughs> tastes, tests fewer than 7,000 for traces of antibiotics. That's just 0.0025%. That is a very low testing rate. Um, but, again, if we just go back to traditional practice, the problem was when we started up the industrial revolution and had all this mass production starting up with meat and 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 uh, milk and all that all this stuff that's when uh hygiene became a problem that's when we needed antibiotics that's when we needed more fake feed and all this unhealthy stuff it's bad it's bad for the animals it's bad for the environment it's bad for us and it's their system and then they're going to sell us a solution. You think their solution is going to be any better than the system they currently have in place? That they can they consider that the only option. They're not cons- considering all of the sustainable options out there. Anyway, this stuff drives me nuts. Uh, clearly, there is much work to be done to increase the consumer. Uh, to oh, why did it jump to the top? Uh, clearly, there is much work to be done to increase consumer confidence that the labels they read are accurate and can be trusted. I, you know what? I, got, I chose this to be more positive. I thought this would be relaxing, and it just ticked me off. <laughs> so there's much work to be done to increase consumer confidence that the labels they read are accurate and can be trusted and that the meat they are consuming is not to the detriment of public health. Following the administration's influential first step, in regulating the product of USA label, it's now imperative that the administration and USDA focus on broadening transparency and accountability efforts to other corners of the food supply chain as well. Uh-huh. So they're saying we need more. USDA, please do more. No, please do less. Still, it's heartening we're finally making progress on a problem too long overlooked. If we're stuck with their system, we're better off with at least some accountability for the labeling. So we'll take the bad with the, or the good with the bad, or the better with the worse and worse and worse. (sighs) But at least they're thinking about real meat. And here's our last story. This one I specifically chose to make it super positive. This one can only be positive, I think. Bell Campo. Um, so Bell Campo Farms launches meat subscription boxes. And that's from, uh, July 20th. Brand new news here. Um, from one of our favorites, one, a, a carnivore favorite. Bell Campo Farms. Because I, I believe that, no, no, White Oak Pastures, they were the ones who were able to prove that they were carbon negative. And they, they're, they're, way of growing beef actually sequesters carb takes carbon out of the atmosphere and i'm sure that belcampo is pretty close if not there i mean they are sustainable so to my understanding 
Let's read on, though. So Belcampo Farms launches meat subscription boxes. This is good news to end on, I think. Um, before I read this, actually, I should look into the chat here. I almost missed that. Sorry. Uh, CJ Riffle says, hey, um, hey, Mike, I realized that growing up, um, I always felt best after eating red fatty meat. Amen. As for me, carnivore diet has made me feel better than I have ever felt. I'm so glad. CJ uh, uh, continues, everyone do what makes you feel best, but please be sure to actually monitor what your dietary input consists of, just to be fair to yourself. Thank you, Mike. Oh, thank you, CJ. Totally referred to you by the Sultan of Silver, George Bruno. Well, thank you, George. Yes. Yeah, I'm a big fan of George Bruno, and and I do highly recommend his channel, especially for young men uh, looking for it, or men of any age looking for just a good hangout and and some good advice, uh, some uh, sanity, clarity, and sanity, clarity, and reason. That's his holy trifecta. Um, Alan Bennett says, "Hi, Alan. Michael, you're much too young to understand this, but." When are you going to give me a million dollars? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't get the joke, but um, <laughs> I, I think uh, as soon as Biden taxes it out of me, um, <laughs> that's my. <laughs> I hope that's uh, an okay joke for you. Um, but I'm sure that was amusing to you, and it is amusing to me. Uh, I'm curious what the reference is. Uh, I recently had to actually look up the the Where's the Beef commercial because I had always heard it and I I always did an impression of the woman saying, Where's the beef? I always assumed she was saying, Where's the beef? But turns out she's saying something like, Where's the beef? Where's the beef? (laughs) Where's the beef? (laughs) She's very, very brusque. Where's the beef? So um, I had to, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> work on my impression and the, the, that's the stuff that voice actors do stuff that voice actors do cj says i'm old and i don't get it either <laughs> well thank you cj well let's read this uh uh bel campo it, it is a pretty pretty much a press release and that's okay with me on uh, july 20th 2021 oakland california through the business wire Bel Campo Farms, a climate positive, yes, climate positive meat company and champion of regenerative farming uh, practices. I already feel so much better reading this. A po- climate positive meat company and champion of regenerative farming practices has released three new subscription boxes, making it easier than ever to have your favorite cuts delivered to your doorstep. Available exclusively online at belcampo.com. That's belcampo.com. Not a sponsor, I just want to promote them. The Everyday Beef Box, Everyday Chicken Box, and Meal Prep Box are filled with the brand's most popular certified organic, certified humane, that's one of the most important to me, grass-fed and finished, also very important for the micronutrients, and pasture-raised meats. Belcampo descriptions eliminate last-minute trips to the store and keep your favorite healthy and delicious weekly protein... protein... meat, but yes, protein staples on hand, with convenient automatic delivery. 
Each of Belcampo's new subscription boxes are curated with... I'm sorry, the grammar, the, the grammarian in me is thinking that's is. Each of Belcampo's new subscription boxes is curated with crowd-pleasing cuts of beef and poultry and ready-to-eat options that are perfect for a variety of meals and lifestyles. The ready-to-eat options, I hope, are healthy, but... Um, just select your box and choose a frequency of one, two, three, or four-week delivery. All subscriptions come with a savings of 10% off every order and free shipping, with the flexibility to change, skip, or cancel your subscription at any time. Additional tail, additional details include... Well, before I read those, I just want to say, uh, I think it's great that um, th- this is the stuff that we need, the stuff that makes it... M- more affordable and convenient. I, I'm hoping this is affordable, but at least convenient, right? To um, get really healthy meat. This is sustainably produced, good for the environment, and good for us. It's good for us for sure. And I have had some of their ground beef uh, in the past. It was a bit lean for my liking, to my uh, recollection. But um, you can always add a little fat, and they do. I think have some of the best fat out there. So, um, but I, anyway, I, I could also be wrong. I mean, it could be plenty fatty. Uh, and maybe it's fattier now than it was back then. Maybe I'm remembering incorrectly. I don't know, but, um, it's been a while, quite a while, but I just know that I, so I support everything they, they do here. Um, as far, as far as I see, um, all right. So they have the everyday beef box. That's the, the listed price is, $121.91. Oh, no, that's the uh, retail menu. Anyway, the list price is $109.72 for eight pounds of meat, well, eight pounds, including two keto meatball packs. Oh, keto meatballs. I hope that those are with really a keto, I mean, like pork panko or something really simple like that. No breadcrumbs whatsoever. Not even almond flour, or whatever, coconut flour, whatever flour they try to... I hope it's just pork panko or nothing. But um, that's, that's, that's where I have to go digging, and that's where I would recommend looking into all the ingredients. In fact, you know, I, I can't... I'm not going to read all these and promote all the things they have specifically because I don't know what's in them, but... They say, since launching our mail-order delivery last year, we've received overwhelming requests from our customers to offer a subscription service so they can get their favorite Belcampo meats delivered automatically right to their doorstep. That's great. I mean, they don't even want to have to go to the website. And I mean, I I, I think it's good to do that, but even better, if they just have have a subscription, make sure you're getting meat because that's what you should be eating. Uh, so uh, this is from Gary Embleton, CEO of Belcampo. We're thrilled to officially... I'm so used to hating these CEOs or being suspicious of them that I'm thinking, oh, Gary Embleton, huh? But no, this is a good guy. Good guy. Gary Embleton, CEO of Belcampo. We're thrilled to officially launch this service and have plans to offer even more customization in the future. Our new subscriptions are the perfect way for families and busy professionals to ensure they will always have their favorite Belcampo meats on hand for all their favorite meals and recipes throughout the week. Nice. And Belcampo subscription boxes and mail-order meats are shipped frozen with dry ice. 
yeah, I've tr- tried uh, at least uh, Crowd Cow and uh, oh, I yeah. So and at least one other time, another service has sent something on dry ice, and it always works out for me. Uh, although some people do complain, like if it gets stuck in, in transit, you know, stuck all, along the way, sometimes the dry ice can all melt away, and that can be a real big problem. Um, but uh, anyway. I have not had a problem like that, and I've I, not in Manhattan, not in Queens. Everything is, is frozen solid when I get it. Uh, so anyway, in eco-friendly insulated packaging, good. That's the best because I hate uh, wasteful packaging. Uh, to ensure that the product you receive is fresh and environmentally friendly, both the box and liners are also curbside recyclable. Good. Bel Campo is on a mission to revolutionize the meat industry for the well-being of people, the planet, and animals by building a supply chain to produce healthy meat products. Amen. Bel Campo raises livestock on its own certified organic California farms, as well as through a network of farm partners and suppliers that address Bel Campo's stringent requirements for organic, humane handling, grass-fed and uh, and finished, and more. To learn more about Bel Campo's subscription boxes, please visit www.belcampo.com slash pages slash subscriptions. The same meats in each of Bel Campo's subscription boxes are also available individually as a one-time purchase online at, at, at belcampo.com. Very simple. belcampo.com. B-E-L-C-A-M-P-O.com. With nationwide shipping in the United States. For more information about Belcampo and its environmental impact, please visit belcampo.com slash pages. <laughs> you know what? Let's visit that right now, just real quick. So, Belcampo, our story. Oh, by the way, free shipping on orders $99 and up. Bel Campo was founded with a purpose, to create meat that's good for people, planet, and animals. What started as one mom's desire to feed her family the healthiest, healthiest meat possible became a mission to revolutionize the industry from the inside out. In 2012, the 27 acres that would become Bel Campo Farm was purchased. In the years since... We've expanded to include our own FDA-approved processing facility. Now, that's great. They were able to get their own FDA-approved pro- um, processing facility, which is where they can slaughter the animals humanely um, as possible, I- I'm sure, with the- with their high standards. And um, that's one of the challenges, is to have the processing power for your meats once you have them, once you grow them. So that makes them harder to shut down, I would think. Full, t- although you know they're under still government regulations. Uh, full service butcher shops and restaurants serving authentic farm to table dining experiences. All this—that sounds wonderful. All this, so that we can own the supply chain and offer our customers total transparency from start to finish. That's what we need. Uh, Here from our co-founder, Anya Fernald, who says, I made it my life's work to improve the quality of these incredible products we love to cook with. Yes. I know that I'm being very prejudiced or or, or very, uh, uh, I'm giving these people preferential treatment. 
I'm not making fun of their... I mean, there's nothing to make fun of here. These are delightful people doing delightful things. <laughs> so I don't feel like I have to make fun of anything here. Regenerative agriculture, farming for the future. I mean, this is what we need. And so, well done, Bel Combo. I highly recommend... I have to maybe order from them at some point, even though they're not local. I just want to support them. Man, good stuff, good stuff. And it keeps me feeling hopeful, you know. Don't want to get too uh, too cynical and too angry about these things. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so that was our last article for tonight. Um... Checking in on the chat here again before I sign off. Alan says, Michael Anthony was the guy who worked uh, for John Beresford, a Tipton in The Millionaire. Oh, okay. Yeah, never never seen The Millionaire. <laughs> but thank you for explaining. <laughs> when am I going to give you a million dollars? I wonder if I said it properly. CJ says, um, oh, it was, uh, this character was played by Marvin Miller. To bring a complete stranger to his office and give him a check for one million dollars. Oh, uh, further explanation. Thank you. Asking only for the asking only for them to sign an agreement, not to tell anyone how they got it. <laughs> I, I would take that one on. Sure. I mean, I would just keep my million dollars a secret. <laughs> but uh, all right. For the rest of the show, the audience sees how. I mean, you know, I'd have to deposit. I, I would probably bring it to a bank, but then I wouldn't tell them how I got. Or maybe I would just put it right into crypto. Anyway, um, CJ says for the rest of the show, the audience sees how the recipients' lives are changed. Though oh, I see, uh, though never fully seen during the entire run of the series, the actor playing Tipton was the great voice actor Paul Freese. Cool, cool. Yeah, Paul Freese is a, a name that I know. Um, from being, you know, <laughs> a voice acting dork. So, awesome. Well, thank you, CJ. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, everyone who joined me uh, for the Meet News Live tonight. Uh, I am streaming uh, at a higher quality today, so I hope that that's good, um, working out. And, um, yeah, thanks again for joining me. Uh, special, th special thanks, as always, to my supporters on Patreon. Uh, who at the time uh, are Kevin, Jeffrey, Nate, Matt, Todd, Mary, Adrian, Jordan, Grigori, my dad, and MJ Armstrong. And um, yeah, everyone have a great night. I will see you again tomorrow and hopefully earlier. I'm going to try to make these a little earlier because uh, it's obviously hard for people to stay up and it's kind of hard for me to start so late, but um, I wanted to, I had to go to Whole Foods earlier um, and I wanted to also live stream so everything took so much longer than it should have <laughs> but um i'm glad you enjoyed the stream and uh yeah thank you cj uh, I, and thank you again and good night to all of you i will see you again tomorrow until then eat meat and live free